Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. And on tonight's episode, uh, we have a fantastic guest, uh, Stephen Gillespie. Uh, Stephen has been in emergency services for 39 years, recently retired. Um, he was with FDNY for 21 of those years. Um, yeah, he has a great story. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Chris and I had a great time talking to him. Um, so, yeah, here you go. The Washdown Podcast with guest Stephen Gillespie. I did. <laughs> you know what, though? There's That's, nothing wrong with that. I'm, no. I'm all for it. He's a professional, man. Uh, we, I want to try and be professional. <laughs> so we've only got one name to remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should do a better job of taking notes and research and like all that stuff. Uh, we kind of just fly by the seat of our pants a lot of the times. <laughs> That's uh, probably the best ones, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. You, That's how we all wrong. do our best work, isn't it? Yeah. Show, show <laughs> up and figure it out. Yeah. Adapting over time. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Um, why don't you introduce yourself, give us some background, and uh, then we'll get into this. Uh, thanks, Jeremy. My name is Steve Gillespie. Uh, uh, I told uh, total years in uh, first responder, about 39. Um, I started out when I was a 17-year-old volunteer firefighter uh, in New Jersey, uh, I was a police officer for about seven and a half years, although I try not to admit that too much. And <laughs> and then uh, I got my dream job in 1994. I, I was able to get on a New York City fire department, and I did almost 22 years there. And then I retired as a lieutenant, and then uh, I moved down to South Carolina, where I worked for the North Charleston Fire Department for about six years and Goose Creek City Fire Department for a year. And now I'm officially, officially retired. Uh, yeah, only 39 years, man. I mean, geez. only, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just couldn't hit that 40. Yeah, <laughs> I tried, nice I tried, enough. but uh, <laughs> oh man, that's uh, that's a, that's a long time, yeah, and on so. both sides of the fence, too, police and fire. That's yeah. Uh, Lisa, yeah, 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 and it's uh, I mean, that's a pretty busy area up there. If you don't mind me saying <laughs> it was, uh, it was quite, quite the adventure. Yeah. I did my whole, I did my whole career in the Bronx. Uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, work 13 years in special operations and squad 41. So, um, got a lot of experience from a lot of really talented and knowledgeable people. So how big, something I've always wanted to know, kind of how big are the, do you call them districts up there where you're, battalions you know, divisions yeah where your uh where your station's at like the area of responsibility it's a firehouse jeremy <laughs> <laughs> different different vernacular <laughs> your fire work at the station okay. we work at firehouses so yeah um uh the small is it uh you know units most most firehouses in new york are engines and ladders in the same firehouse uh they don't have the same numbers though. There's only two firehouses in all of New York City that the engine and the ladder have the same number. Uh, so uh, then there's a battalion that's usually about three firehouses or so. And then uh, the division, which usually has about five or six battalions in it. And it's usually that's about half the borough. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, the five boroughs. So 
uh, in the Bronx, there, uh, there was uh, two divisions, a sixth division in the South Bronx and a seventh division in the North Bronx. Okay. So how, how big of an area was your firehouse responsible for? Like what was your first in? Well, for squad 41 or for just in general, like, I mean, was it like a five block radius or 10 blocks or. Well, in squad 41, it's a little different because we went on all work and fires in uh, certain response areas. So we covered the whole uh, South half of the Bronx and the North half of Manhattan. But as far as the individual companies, um, it, it depends on the area. Like uh, when I was in 41, there was uh, another firehouse with an engine and a ladder uh, one block over and five blocks north. And then there was another firehouse with an engine and a ladder that was seven blocks south of us. So within 13 blocks, there were three engines, two ladders, a battalion and a division chief. So we were second due four blocks from the firehouse sometimes. Jeez. How long would it take you to go four blocks though for a fire call? It, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that bad going in that, that direction. It, it's, it's not, there's traffic in the Bronx, but not like people see. I don't know if I could ever work in Midtown Manhattan, uh, just the amount of traffic that uh, that those units try and drive through is crazy. Hmm. I mean, I've never been in New York, so I don't. Yeah, yeah me either. <laughs> but, uh, it's on my list. Yeah, I've always been, been curious about that, especially from, you know, what you see on TV with the traffic and and all of that. And then the way that ours out here is, I mean, we're like square mileage. It's, yeah, it's not yeah. blocks. It's yeah, yeah. How many, how many miles? Yeah, the district and yeah. So, so I, I did hear something, and I I heard I heard it came out of Boston, but I didn't know if New York was the same because the cities are kind of built similar. Was you guys? They don't really use their siren. I don't know if that's true or not. Like they turn it on and off as they respond. So no, I didn't know if, no. Was so that not, is that something that's not true? Uh, I don't know about Boston, but. Uh, but yeah, I was, I, I would always lay on the horn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they said it was something to do with the, yeah. the buildings and how it reverberates off of it. And it was better. Oh, no, I've never heard that off. before. I don't remember where I heard it. It was, it's probably something you just made up. It could be, it could be like, that too. I could have dreamed it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need something to say. I'm it could have been on one of those TV up. shows that, you know, like the 911 response and it was out of oh, Boston. Boy. Stop, I don't know. Chicago Stop watching or, Chicago. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's exactly what no, I was it, it, no, it, was, it was the real. It was reality show. <laughs> it was the real one. What it's really, what it's really like for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but like every day is a once in a career call for me. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. I could. Did I tell you about the tsunami I went to uh, recently? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to hear that one. Yeah. <laughs> No. So I see that you were doing a little bit of research about you just a couple minutes ago of about uh you're pretty vocal about the PTSD. Yeah. Yep. And uh so let's get into that, man. I mean, look, 39 years doing first response, that's gotta take a toll. I mean, I'm compared to you, I'm a baby. We're only 18 years in. So it's uh hey i'm 20 oh whatever those count okay i started as a volunteer before i got hired here <laughs> he's always looking for an edge in seniority <laughs> <laughs> easy just because i got what it's all about in a firehouse right? i got hired first what's your point <laughs> yeah <clears throat> get in the sink proby yeah that's right <laughs> yep 
Never let me forget it. He he did he never cleaned though. <laughs> I mean, I swept. You guys worked together? Yeah. We did for a long yeah. time, yeah. 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 Went to the academy together and then we're at the same station twice for probably what nine years total. Yeah. Nice. So we've spent half of our career being an old married couple, basically. <laughs> so You're work work wife. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> go ahead and uh just kind of elaborate. We, we we started to talk about, you know, the mental health toll that all of that takes. And, you know, what actually led you to to start being vocal about it? Uh it, it what really got me vocal to the point where I'm at now is that I actually had to retire and come down to South Carolina for me to realize um, how bad I was. Uh, because when, when I came to South Carolina, I was put in touch with a group. It's called the Low Country Firefighter Support Team. Uh, and they were started um, like the, either the day of or the day after the Charleston 9 fire in 2007 mm -hmm. when I lost nine guys in the Sofa Superstore fire. So as an organization I got in, uh, in touch with, just so I can, when I moved down here, I stopped going to therapy. I stopped taking my medication. I was living here by myself for about eight months before my family moved down. And I got hooked up with them and they pointed me in the right direction to the first responder support team. Got hooked up with another therapist and started medication again and I'm like, hey, this organization is really great. I want to become involved in it, which led me to become, take a couple classes and to become a peer counselor, uh, which led to me putting this, uh, a program together um, called uh, Surviving a Job. And even now we're um, hopefully in the right direction of trying to get my master's in counseling. So oh, it started It started before that where, um, you know, I've been in therapy uh been in therapy and on medication since about three months after September 11th, maybe. So it's been over 20 years. Was that, I mean, and obviously that was horrific, but the whole mental health aspect of that, was that something that the department like immediately started doing, like giving you guys resources like immediately, or was it like, did it take time afterwards? Yeah, they they tried, um, at, but they were just overwhelmed. Uh, there were five counselors in the counseling services unit, CSU that's called, um, but they were just overwhelmed by it. And what they did was they started bringing in some outside contractors, a lot of other therapists and stuff. And um, my firehouse was... Uh, was in, in Midtown Manhattan, it was an outer borough. And uh, we had a counselor assigned to our firehouse. So, and Dr. Paul was his name. And uh, he came, he was, uh, did some work with Vietnam vets. And, you know, you tell, you tell the whole story. He showed up one day and I'll go, hey, you know, the counseling unit assignment to your firehouse. I'm here to talk to you guys. And, but he knew, what to do. He really didn't say anything to anybody. He just sat around for a while because none of us want to talk about this stuff, right? Oh, hell no. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to talk about what, what's going on, even though the guy sitting right next to you is feeling the same way. Um, but eventually after him coming around for a while, 
guys would slowly start to follow him out to the parking lot to let him to let him out. We had a, a, a locked parking lot. The neighborhood was pretty bad. And then that guy would disappear for about 45 minutes. And what we realized what was going on was <laughs> there was parking lot therapy going on. Um, and I had been seeing, I had been seeing him uh, in his office for a while. So, but it was nice to see everybody, you know, again, a lot of guys don't want to admit that they're struggling with things, but you know, the one week he was there, this guy would go out, you know, and John would go out and Joe would go out and, you know, they'd be, they'd disappear for 45 minutes and it turned into, you know, parking lot therapy and whatever it was that helped them. That was great. Uh, yep, yeah. Well, and yeah. Great on that counselor for, you know, seeing that. Yeah. He and, saved my life. He's uh, I, I thank him quite often. Um, he got me on the right track with some things. And, so. Yeah. The, the thing that, and I don't want to interrupt your story, you know, but the thing that keeps striking me about the whole mental health conversation in the fire service in particular is how, you know, we do have, there are these people that they'll go to therapy and, you know, they're seeing a counselor or a therapist and they're on meds or, you know, whatever the case may be. And they're doing all this stuff to get better. But then if the conversation comes up at the station or at the firehouse, um, they get up and leave the room or they'll just be like, Oh no, what therapy, whatever. It's like, nobody really wants to talk about it and say, yeah, I'm going to therapy and it's helping. And, you know, and I don't understand like that thought process that, and it seems we, I mean, job wide, we share it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's just that it's in our nature. I guess we don't, it's something that we don't want to talk about, you know, but two, two things to that is that, uh, you know, I would, I, <clears throat> um, after September 11th, there's now five different locations for the counseling unit. Um, and one of them wasn't far from my house. And I would uh, go every once in a while and, and, and check in as in addition to seeing the psychiatrist at, at headquarters or at the main medical office, uh, where, where they were, uh, I would run into guys that would kind of like shy away at, at the counseling <laughs> unit. And I'm like, dude, I'm here too. <laughs> you know, They're I trying to sneak you. out the yeah. side door. Yeah. <laughs> I see you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're all here for the same reason. And then most of the time you'd see a guy and they were like, Oh, all right. Somebody else mm -hmm. is yeah. doing the same thing, you know? And I think that's part of, part of why I'm doing what I what I'm doing now, because I really wish that I would have understood what this was all about when I still lived in New York, because I, I would have become a peer counsel up there and maybe gotten involved with the counseling services unit. Um, but when we have, when there's somebody in the fire service, it's all about respect and reputation and, you know, how we feel about, you know, the senior man or a mentor or some officer that you had, you know, if that person that you think the world of can go out on a limb and say, Hey, I'm struggling too. It's okay to be not to be not okay. And this is what I'm doing to help myself. And they go, well, if so-and-so could do it, you know, if Jeremy's doing it, if Chris is doing it, 
maybe it's okay for me to do it, but there's still some people that, that struggle with it. And I don't know, you know, we have to get away from that shame of it. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird stigma, you know, and especially cause we talk about in the fire service, the, you know, the brotherhood and, you know, we want to help each other out. And I think it, it almost hinders us in a way because we want to help everybody else out and put ourselves last because that's what we do. We're that's the helpers. We mm-hmm. And, but then also that reputation thing and all of that, you, you can't have any chinks in your armor. You know, you, you sit around and you bust balls and all that stuff. And it's about who can take it the most and who can dish it out the most. And, um, you know, you can't have any, you can't let them know that it bothers you, you know, yeah. that, you know, they make fun of you for not washing dishes or you wash a dish a certain way or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, you got to just let that roll off your back and not show that you have feelings. Yeah, <laughs> we're not allowed that feelings. No, and if you think about that logically, are you mad because we teased you about your cooking? No. <laughs> is, is that what is, you got out of that? I'm not the one. Cooking? I'm not the one who made tuna mac and cheese. Okay? Hey, you all asked for it. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> Ever have hot dog parmesan? Uh, yes. N- no, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it logically, like the people who don't show emotion and stuff, those people are psychopaths. that's a serial killer i know a couple of those (laughs) so why would i mean that's not something to aspire to you know (laughs) i I just i I don't know yeah that's again it's something that we all they're um narcissists you know my Mm -hmm. my therapist tells me that you know they're out there but they never come and see us so because they're never wrong or you know what psychopath or uh you know it it takes a lot for some people you know the hardest part is talking about it Uh, and that's why i like to talk about it so much because for me over the last couple years it's helped me so much with my with my struggle is being able to talk about it well yeah i mean you share that burden and somebody else shares their burden and it makes it lighter for everybody it makes it lighter yeah 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 and you don't realize i Part of part of my whole lecture, I talk about the box with the box inside our head and, mm-hmm. you know, it gets full. And when it starts to overflow with stuff, that's when the bad stuff really happens. And and uh, I, I like it to like uh, to like a water cooler. So if you had if you had a water cooler and you put a hose in the top of the water cooler and turn the water on and eventually the water would start overflowing. But even with the water flowing. If, uh, you know, the little, the little spigot down at the bottom, which right just happens to be like right here around where your mouth is, you know, you open up that spigot and let some of that water out. It's not going to overflow again. You know, so when you talk about it, 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 it doesn't empty it. It makes you be able to remember without reliving it. Yeah, exactly. And it makes you be able to take a little bit more and be a little bit more resilient. Yeah. And, and the more and more, the, uh, you know, even, you know, even when you're not in it anymore, you're still, you know, you drive down, we're in a constant state of, of readiness in the job, you know, even when we're mm-hmm. off duty, you're always, you know, there's a car accident there or the, this going on, or, you know, is that choke that somebody choking in a restaurant? You're always got that thing going on in the back of your head that, you know, 
and that puts a lot of stress on us and to be able to, you know, it's difficult for me. It's only been a couple months now, but it's still very difficult to shut all of that off because it's been such a part of me for so long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but then you also look at most firefighters live close to where they work, mm-hmm. you know, or, I mean, you at least live in the same city. So you're or, probably or volunteer firefighters in the town that they live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... You're, you're going to drive by that intersection where you ran four people dead, or yeah. you're going to go by the house that you had a dead baby on Christmas and you're going to drive by that. Well, you're going to respond to somebody, you know, yeah. Somebody that, you know, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Been there, done it. Yeah. But I know you, the guys from New York came out after we lost a couple in the line of duty and helped us get a, uh, our peer counseling going because we didn't have one till then. And they were instrumental in setting that up. It was yeah, huge. Well, we're, fire service is pretty reactive. Yeah. They, uh, they were here within 24 hours. And yeah. that's a, that's a soapbox that I get on all the time about us being reactive with As mental health. Proactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to start. And that's kind of, what I think the big push needs to be. I mean, obviously we need resources for those of us who have been in for a while and because we're not good at going, you know, I need some help right now, but I'm going to wait until the wheels fucking fall off and then I'll get <laughs> help because yeah. that's what we do. But we need to be proactive about that, especially with the the newer generations coming in of being, okay, you need to be doing, have these coping skills. You need to, you know, consider seeing a counselor you need all of that stuff that could prevent them from getting to the point of the wheels falling off excuse me and it would just make it so much easier and lessen a lessen the burden on a system that's already overtaxed because i don't know how it is with you guys up there but like waiting to get into a counselor i mean you're looking at a month two months three months well, that's not great if you're in a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, uh, the one counselor I go to, they are they are becoming overwhelmed. Um, partially because I'm sending so many people. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it, it, again, there, there's like five different ways I can go with that. You know, when I was a training officer uh, in North Charleston, I, I had an office and and um People would come and see me at my office. I actually had a couch in the office. They called it the therapy couch, but I would show up at eight o'clock in the morning at my office and there'd be two people standing outside the door sometimes. And they're just like, you know, they just wanted to talk about something. And eventually I would get them to, you know, I believe it starts with the peers. I truly Mm -hmm. believe that because a lot of us, again, it's hard for us to go straight to a therapist. I don't need a therapist. You know, yep. or what did what did they get? They're not going to understand what it is that I've been through. Well, a peer is going to totally understand what you've been through, you know. And if I could get somebody to talk to them for a little bit, and again tell them, you know, I've been through, you know, people know my story, they know what I've been through, because I'm not afraid to share it. And then I send them to a therapist, you know, um, they're becoming overwhelmed in in the area, and uh, there are you know there are crisis centers and there's even um uh a couple of friends of mine uh, within the last year have had a, probably almost 10 people go away for in treatment down at uh, shatterproof down in florida um, oh, so that's one that i haven't heard of 
Uh, Chat Proof is an amazing program. I'm pretty sure they have different locations, but this one's in uh, Deerfield Beach. And okay. uh, amazing, amazing, cool. amazing program. So I don't know if I'm able to give shout outs to anybody here. Oh, we, we, we don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't, we don't mind at all. And, you know, the more resources that we're able to kind of throw out there for people to have, because, I mean, the, the one inpatient program that we had here in our location has now shut down and they don't accept first responders to be because it was a first responder specific program. Okay. And they've shut that part down. And now you just go into regular general population. With, which is like an EAP, uh, employee, employee assistance program, which is yeah. through the city that you work for. That's mm-hmm. going to hook you up with somebody who has absolutely no idea what it is that we go through. Yep. yep. You know, and again, that's where um, sometimes the, you know, the lines get crossed where, you know, somebody, I'd, not to downplay, but somebody who works for public works or somebody who's in the accounting department, you know, needs a different kind of employee assistance program that the cops and the firefighters and EMS people do. Yeah. You're a hundred percent. And that's the beauty of the program that's down here. It's become so popular now um, that, uh, you know, it's us, it's us talking to us. And that's how, you know, how we connected well, through Taylor Taylor Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly the way that you connected with Taylor was the way I did. I saw her Facebook post and I'm like, Hey, you know, how about going to this meeting with me next week? And, um, and you guys connected with her, I believe the same way. Yeah. Same way. Yeah. And, uh, but that's what it is about, about word of mouth, you know, and the more, the, the more shows like this, you guys are doing a fantastic job the more we talk about this, the more acceptable it's going to be. And the more programs are going to be that are out there specifically for us. Cause I think they need to be specific to us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's not just a, you know, it's not just a, you know, I have a financial problem or, you know, my, uh, you know, my mother lives with me and she's sick and I'm having a problem paying my bills. And no, this is some other shitty stuff that we're, that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, had a triple fatal accident, you know, and two of them were babies and, you know, not to get morbid, but that's the stuff that we deal with. Yeah. Well, it's cultural competency and can't say enough. You know what? Thank you for saying that. I got to write that one down. (laughs) I've been listening to a couple of your cultural competency. And uh, do you mind if I use that? No, go for it, man. I didn't coin it at all. That's uh, uh, my wife talks about it all. My wife is a, is a counselor. Yeah. And then uh, Tanya Glenn down in Texas, she does great work with first responders. She uses that term quite a bit. So I stole it too. So I just, you know, we'll be bandits together. (laughs) So So, I know, but it's, I I do have a question actually. So do you think when you left New York and went to South Carolina, do you think that helped you heal? Have I changed the scenery, change the department once you retired? I didn't, it didn't. Okay. It didn't, it didn't. It, uh, excuse me. I didn't realize how bad I was until I moved down here. And then being alone for a couple months and being off medication and not being in therapy, I kind of fell into a hole again. And when I started to get, um, I'm not good at balancing, um, which a lot of us aren't. Uh, but my thing wasn't, you know, we all have, 
everybody has their struggle, whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, sex addiction, whatever, whatever it is. I just totally checked out. You know, um, I was 40 when my son was born and I probably missed the first six, seven, eight years of his life just because I would just come home and go to sleep all the time. I was totally not, not there. I would go to work and then that, and then that was it. And I moved down here and I got a nine to five job and I was be able, I was able to be home every night and on the weekends, but there was still that part of me that was always given a little bit more to the fire service than I was given to them. And you know, not until uh, really a couple of months ago um, that I I realized that I know I always realized that I don't think I ever want to admit to it because it's the only thing I know how to do. I don't know how to do anything else. The right. only thing I ever wanted to do in my life was be a New York City fireman. I've been wanting to do that since I was as long as I can remember. I don't know how to do anything else. You know, and when you remove yourself from that, it's your whole, it's who, it's who you are. But I've been able to say with myself, you know, they pointed out a couple of things to me and I'm like, you know what, you're right. I was, I was an ass and I'm really sorry about it, but I have an amazing relationship with, with my son now, who's going to be 16 this year. And, and uh, it's freaking awesome. You know, that's uh seems to be a very common trap that a lot of us fall into is the getting wrapped up and having our whole identity into the job. You know, it's, you got to wear the fire department shirt and, yep. you know, it's, you got to go do whatever they're doing at the firehouse. You know, you go on vacations together, you do this and like it, your whole world is wrapped up into that. Sure. And, you know, your family, your friends that aren't firefighters, they take a back seat. Mm -hmm. And, but it's, it's kind of expensive expected and celebrated in the culture for that to happen and if you don't do that if you don't do that yeah then you're it's like what's wrong with that guy he why doesn't he hang out with us off duty and why doesn't mm -hmm. he you know do this and do that and it's like well because you know i'm a husband a brother a son a, you know i'm all of these other things too mm -hmm. you know this is my job this is my career i want to be great at it but at the same time there's more to me than just this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us forget that. Forget. Yeah. <coughs> so what was I saying a minute ago, whenever you asked your question, mm. we were talking about cultural, cultural competency. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll remember it again. Yeah. You're starting to ask something and, yeah, and you interrupted my train. I can't remember either. I, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I'm old, hey, guys. You, you got to give other people a chance to talk, too. I mean, well, he's the guest. He should be doing like 90% of the talking. Look, man, I, I understand that. But as you pointed out earlier, this is my podcast. So I you just start. I am the star. He's the star. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you oh, are. Yeah. Diva, man. Hey, man. So let me ask you <laughs> the questions. Oh, yeah, go for good it. Lord. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. How did you get into this? I mean, I know your wife is, uh, you know, I've listened, um, to, I, I haven't listened to all of them because I just found out about your podcast uh, maybe uh, two months ago, uh, but I've been listening to a lot of them. Um, so, well, actually the reason that we started this podcast and, you know, we did a whole one on it, but I'll keep a long story a little less long is I was an asshole. Um, I was a drunk 
Um, I cheated on my wife. She found out about it. I tried to shoot myself in the face and she wrestled the gun away from me. And so then I ended up in inpatient treatment 30 days. It was fantastic. And finally got my head screwed on straight, did the things I needed to do to change my life. Um, and then whenever I was in inpatient treatment, I started listening to podcasts and found a couple that I kind of gravitated towards, you know, that were former military guys or, you know, Joe Rogan had some, some people on at the time that kind of spoke to me with, you know, the cops or firefighters or whatever. I can't remember the exact episodes, but I was listening to them and I was like, you know what, this is a great way to communicate with a lot of people. And it's a great way to raise awareness, you know, so to speak. And there's not a podcast like this out there because I Mm -hmm. searched and searched and searched and there was nobody was doing anything like this at the time. So I talked to Chris and I was like, Hey man, I got this idea. Let's do this. And then trial and error and lots and lots of trial and error and equipment iterations until we're finally at this point so so now you have you you have a great you have a great studio now with a really cheesy card table and (laughs) (laughs) yeah the the table that's a a 20 dollar table man yeah table i i don't think i spent 20 i think i spent 15 bucks on it and then like five bucks for stain so (laughs) we got like what you got two dollars here for the wood from a from a live burn on the back wall there no those actually came from uh uh, a farm that we used to have horses at and there was a bunch of pallets for hay that weren't getting used anymore. So I was like, Hey, I want a pallet wall. Cause that wall behind me was just completely just studs. And the other side of that is my basement and rec room. So I was like, I'm just going to build a podcast studio in the house. And then that way it's easy. Cause we were doing it in his basement mm-hmm. and we had an actual cheesy card table that we bought at target. Yeah, that was a folding card table. <laughs> it was a folding <laughs> card table. Yeah. We had to be portable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, because we never went anywhere. No, it's because we had to break it down whenever we had people come from out of town. Oh, yeah. I had to put the bed back up in the room. and <laughs> Yeah. So I thank was... you guys for doing for doing this and recognizing that. And, and um, you know, I wasn't aware of, of your story, Jeremy, and, and, um, and how close it was. But I think that's we don't want guys to get to that point. Yeah. And that's why I'm so big on the proactive because there were, there were so many times, you know, looking back on how I lived my life and my career and, you know, opportunities that I would have had potentially to course correct Mm -hmm. and to get a little bit more knowledge and to deal with emotions that I wasn't dealing with. And it just, it was, I fell into that trap of, well, I can't show any emotion. I have to be the one that's dependable and all of that stuff. And, you know, ultimately it led me to where I was at. So, and that's why I am so big on the, on the proactive part and being personally accountable to yourself and not necessarily, you know, to everybody else and blasting it on social media or whatever, but to yourself, do Mm -hmm. the, do the right things for yourself. Because if you're doing it for somebody else, it it's not going to stick. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do it for yourself. Because as long as I take care of everybody else, 
I don't have to worry about what's going what's going on with me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Make and, it easier. Make it easier to live that way. Yeah. You don't have to admit your faults and well, yeah, and what you can do better because nobody wants to be wrong. Yeah. Oh, that dude, that was a huge problem. I was never wrong. I think that actually got said to me at one point. <laughs> more than once. More than probably more than once. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was. Uh, so yeah, that's I. I take this podcast pretty seriously as far as that goes. Like you know, we'll have fun conversations from time to time about just whatever. But the general overarching theme is, look, we want to raise awareness and we want people to actually do something, you know, take action and take action for yourself. And I mean, that's really kind of what mm-hmm. we're trying to do. Sure. And I appreciate you guys doing it. Well, we appreciate you coming on, man. And my don't, pleasure. Don't, don't watch the movie episode. Don't watch the movie. Don't remember that when we did that? We talked about like the top ten firefighter oh, movies God. and shows. We oh, had the yeah. list off of Google, and yeah, we uh, it was a filler. They, <laughs> there, there have been times where, uh, especially early on, where we had problems getting guests. Again, it's because people didn't want to talk initially, and you know, because we would approach people and be like, "Hey, we we got this podcast. We talk about mental health of first responders." And they're like, "Oh yeah, cool. I'm not doing that." <laughs> they're like, "I'm not going to be on camera." And like the guest that we had last night, I asked him five times, six times to come on the show. And it's like, well, maybe, no, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe. And then finally, I just see him at a meeting one day and he's like, I'm ready to come on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's the way that we kind of pitch it now, whenever we talk to people is you never know what you're going to say or what your story is going to spark in somebody that may, yeah, that may inspire them to make the change that they need to make, you know, to go talk to a peer or go talk to a therapist or, you know, even if it's not something like that, it was just like getting back involved in a hobby, you know, I mean, cause it can literally be something that small that makes the difference. Makes a difference for you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of, uh, um, the lecture that I do, I've done it a couple of places. You know, I'd say in the very beginning, my objective is if there's one person in this room that realizes that they can go, you know, that they need to go get some help. You know, I'm really open and honest with what I've been through over all the years. And there hasn't been one where there hasn't some been somebody come over to me afterwards and they're almost in crisis, you know, and like, you don't want to let them leave. You know, yeah. like, here's my card, you know, take my cell phone, you know, do you want to go sit down and talk? Because some people, it, it just, it, that's, I don't know, it, it touches that nerve with them and, you know, yeah, and well, they start and, to break down right in front of you. Yeah. Well, you and know? it's, it's typical. And that's the thing that I've seen over and over again is, especially in the first responder world, man, that we wait and wait yeah. and wait and then it it's it's typically till the wheels little, fall off you said it yeah, earlier yeah till the wheels fall off and it's usually one little small thing that really if you if you had <clears> any <throat> resiliency and if you were taking care of yourself at all it really wouldn't bother most people but it's it's that thing that got stacked on top of this thing that this got thing stacked that, on, the yeah, box 
The box got full. The box got full. The foundation was crap to begin with, and it crumbled underneath them, and then everything comes crashing down. And it's usually, it's not the last thing. You know, something could happen that triggers something that that happened 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. that you just haven't dealt with. Yeah. So, you know, that's what happened with me one time. Um, You know, one of those times where I was in crisis, my wife was like, you know, I had stopped therapy and stopped medication again. And my wife told me, if you don't go get some help, I'm leaving and I'm taking, I'm taking her son with me. And I drove to the counseling center that, that right at that moment. And I was in crisis and I'd walked in and I got one of the peers there and I'm bowling my eyes out in front of him, you know, and he's like, went upstairs to one of the therapists, you got to come down and see this guy. And it, I was talking about a fire that happened six years previously. I was talking about the black Sunday fire, you know, and, and again, it's the, the, you know, my story starts from when I was seven, a 17 year old volunteer firefighter, you know, and then September 11th, which you think would be the worst thing that could ever, ever happen to somebody in the fire service. And, you know, I was at the black Sunday fire and then I was at another fire after a year and a half later where, uh, a probie and a Lieutenant died. And then I was another fire a year after that, where two more firefighters died at the Deutsche bank building that happened to be directly across the street from the world trade center. And, you know, and 2005 was the Black Sunday fire. And this is 2011, six and a half years later. And I am in crisis about that fire. And I don't know what it was that triggered that, but that's what it was that day. Yeah. So, so, and you mentioned it a couple of times where you've stopped taking your medication and stopped going to therapy. What's your, uh, what's the process? Why are you doing that? Well, you feel good. You feel good, right? It takes it takes uh six anybody's been on meds knows that it takes, you know, it takes 30 to 60 days to start to feel better. So when you feel better, you don't think that you need it anymore. And then it takes 30 to 60 days for it to not work anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And then every time I would stop, it would get worse. It would just get worse and worse and worse until, you know, I haven't stopped since I, you know, since I came down here. So it's over seven years now that you know yeah but that, just, that's the yeah i i don't need it i feel fine you know i'm not that bad, not that bad. The, i can handle it a little bit more i'll wait till the wheels fall off yeah yeah i um, mean i got a spare somewhere i, I don't know where <laughs> i'll find it but i got one laying in the garage <laughs> that's uh you know it's funny though because it's such a that's such a fireman thing to say of well, no, I'm not that bad. I'm not. That, yeah. Yeah. Joe's worse than I am. Yeah. <laughs> Look at Joe. He's a mess. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy you're, you're doing better and you're still taking the meds this time and <laughs> Thanks, stay the course. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. I will. And I'll preach that to anybody that wants to listen. And again, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, I know, you know, you might not find the right medication the first time. You might not find the right therapist the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it sometimes it took, luckily for me, you know, I've been pretty lucky with that sense. But, you know, I know people that, uh, you know, people that have gone to therapists that, you know, one or two things, one of a couple things could happen. You know, one, you might get the topper. You know, I don't know if you, get, you guys know what a topper is. 
Uh, Somebody no. who always has to top your story. Oh, okay. oh yeah. got one, the one upper. Got the one one up upper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we call them one yeah, upper. Yeah, one so upper. Yeah. yeah. Well, you think that's bad? Well, let me tell you about what happened to me. You yeah, don't need yeah. a therapist like that, you know. Or the other times, sometimes it. I made a couple of therapists cry, you know. <laughs> and I'm, maybe you guys have too. That's but where your cultural competency comes cultural in. Cultural competency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote that down. Um, but that's exactly where that comes from yeah because you know you can go in and tell your story and they're so overwhelmed by what it is that you're telling them like you know now you're comforting them uh, <laughs> you know? yeah yeah that's uh that's a common it's more common than and than i would like to admit that that yeah. kind of stuff happens but and but it's like you said it's it may not be the first therapist that you go to the the important part of that whole thing is that you keep trying you yep. know, because talk therapy might not work. EMDR might not EMDR, work. Yep. You know, there's so many treatment modalities and we're all so different. We're all individuals. Yeah. So you got to keep is your pain. Yeah. My pain is my pain. Everybody's, di everybody's different. You got to find what works for you. Exactly. So it was, it was neurofeedback for me. Yeah. The is that what, what? Yeah. Neurofeedback. Yeah. Retraining your brain waves. Jeremy turned me on to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the EAP didn't work. That guy was a. Jack he was a jack yeah. yeah yeah no it's all your fault you did this you did that <laughs> wasn't wouldn't listen i was like yeah that's when i lost my temper <laughs> yeah. so but listen i came here for help guy you're not helping yeah. me yeah yeah pretty much you're not listening yeah. you're just yeah. reading off a script that's what i felt like i felt like he had a script in front of him and that's what he was doing yeah yeah checking the so, boxes yep i was so like all right he's I'm got done. this and he's got that he's like well you got two sorry chris i keep sitting. cutting you off no you're fine you're fine <laughs> But I had, I had, it was my third, it was my third, yeah, it was my third, uh, uh, session. Session. Thank you. And I was like, fuck it, I'm done. I'm like, you're worthless. Yeah. I'll go do my own thing. I'll figure it out. Cause that's what we do. We figure it out. And then Jeremy told me about the neurofeedback and man, <laughs> I didn't realize how bad my brainwaves were. <laughs> and it worked. I, I mean, it was within a couple of weeks I was sleeping better and my wife could tell a difference, huge difference in a few weeks. Cause it's, she actually had me call and it was because I got mad over what we we're going to have for dinner. Yeah. That was, that was the conversation. Hey, what do you want for dinner? And <laughs> the bomb went off. <laughs> yeah. We have that conversation every day. I'm home. So it's not, it was nothing abnormal and, but it worked. I mean, I still get mad today, but that's just bad personality. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like, it's not like what it was. I mean, I do sleep better than what I used to, but. I still don't sleep. That's just, that's been that way since I was a kid. Like I said, last week. Yeah. Never. Been I can't. Uh, again, I, re I retired, retired back in November. Um, I haven't slept this well in over 30 years. Yeah. It's you know, not just that from, you know, I, I was uh, 1986. I became a police officer. Excuse me. You know, so I've been doing shift work since 1986. You guys probably weren't even born yet. I was, I was four. I was six. Okay. okay. <laughs> I had to rub that in just a little bit. Right. Well, at least you were born in the 80s. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, just that one thing and, and how that affects you. And what what schedule do you guys work? Uh, 2448. Mm -hmm. Twi and, you know, that alone is... Yeah. In South Carolina, they do 2448. In New York, we did 2472. Um, but the 
you know, the, the catch up that, that, you know, doing 24 on, and then, you know, you're going home that first day of recuperation day and you only mm-hmm. get one day to kind of do your thing. And if you work a little overtime, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. yep. short staffed now and uh, it, you never get time to catch up. Yeah. Um, well, it, it completely jacks your circadian rhythm. Yeah. You know, and especially if you work at even a semi busy station, you know, you're going to be up several times during the night. And so, yeah, I mean, and I've, I've never slept good at the fire station. Yeah. Where you're expecting to answer a call at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your mind can't shut down. You're always, you're on alert all the time. I had, I had one good sleep at the fire station. I don't know if you, yeah, yeah, I think you were there. The the five hour energy girls came by. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah. So so they gave us a bunch of free samples. So I drank one. I was like, that was good. I went and took laid down half hour later, woke up five hours later. Best sleep I ever After got. After drinking an energy drink? <laughs> After drinking the five hour energy drink, I slept for five hours. <laughs> uh the, you may have a chemical imbalance. So but I'm, I'm also the guy that takes, you know, coding supposed to knock you down. Yeah. Nope. Nope. I am hyper <laughs> as hell for the next two days. Oh <laughs> I bounced off the walls. Uh yeah, but anyway, back to the whole sleep cycle thing i mean they've done there's a bunch of studies out there about what not necessarily being a firefighter but shift work in general will do in general yeah yeah mm-hmm. with being you know up at night when you should be asleep and then trying to like catch up and sleep during the day and like you don't get the same quality of sleep and then we know now that having that sleep cycle messed up it primes you and makes you more susceptible to things like depression, PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of those issues that we're seeing. Cardiac issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because getting into that REM sleep, that's whenever your brain starts to do the repair on itself mm-hmm. and you're not getting that for 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever. And yeah, it's like poison. It just stays in your brain, stays in your body that whole time, and you're never able to to get rid of it. I got my first night in in a long time the other night. I mean, the ambulance still ran, but we didn't. I was like, that was awesome. And yeah. I still didn't sleep all night. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I woke up during the night. Yeah. So well, it's just part of it that's looking forward to retirement. But that's why, we, like what we were talking about yesterday of keeping on a schedule. And that's what I found that's really helped me of not going to bed whenever I get home off a shift. Mm-hmm. I, I do a workout, you know, I get my day going and then I try to stay up until it's nine, nine thirty, whatever, and get a normal night's sleep that night. And then, yeah. you know, cause I get up at four, four thirty ish. So I can, cause I live quite a distance away from my station. I'm live on one end of the city and work on the other end of the city. Mm-hmm. And so it takes me a little while to get there, but I'm there at six o'clock, you know, so mm-hmm. I have to, I try to go to bed that night a little bit earlier so I can get up and still get that same amount of sleep. So, you know, Matt, no matter how, no, no matter how busy or how slow your shift is when you get off in the morning, probably the worst thing that you can do is go take a nap. Cause then again, that just messes you up that, that night for sleeping again. So you know, yeah. go till you're exhausted and, and, you know, hopefully you're not driving or operating machinery <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, I found, and you know, I've done it in the past, experimented with it, and I know guys that do it. And it's just for me, I feel like I waste that whole day. The whole day, yeah, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then then I feel even worse about myself. <laughs> It's like I was totally not productive. I didn't get anything done. Get anything done. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's dependent on where I where I work at. So when I was at the one station that was our busiest, mm -hmm. I couldn't function the next day without a nap. I had to go home and sleep because I was up all day and all night. So I can't go more than twenty four hours without sleep. Yeah. You know, you just I, you felt like you were in a fog that whole day, and then even most of the next day, you're off. And that's without working overtime. So that I've really only had a few hours where I wasn't foggy yeah. and then back to work that, th that third day and do it all over again. And I worked a lot yeah, of overtime at the time too. So I didn't help. Yeah. So what is uh what's the staffing shortage like out there for you guys in South Carolina? Yeah. Uh, it depends if it, if it's, if it's rural area, you know, they're the ones with the, the, the one man trucks, you know, driving the tankers, you know, and you got to do everything. But North Charleston is, uh, is pretty urban. It's right, it's right next to Charleston, actually. Um, and all around the Charleston area, staffing is at least three, sometimes four. Um, if you have four on a fire truck, that, that's good. You know, uh, the city of Charleston has four on every truck because they lost nine guys in 2007, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, North Charleston has, uh, three on the engines and four on the ladder trucks. Uh, Goose Creek had uh, three on every truck. And then there was one truck that was staffed with four or fad staffing. New York, it's a total other story. You don't even count the officer in staffing. It was a five man engine. There were six guys on the truck. So I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah, it'd, it'd be yeah. nice it's to have a, that extra person. It's a true every every engine in New York City has at least four firefighters. Some have five plus an officer. Every ladder squad and rescue in New York has five firefighters plus an officer. So now is that due to mostly most of your fires being high rise in nature? It has it has a lot to do with it has a lot to do with that. Um, they used to have, you know, in the war years, they had more, more guys on the engine, more guys on the ladder. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, the stretches are long. Um, you know, you need more manpower uh, to go up, you know, to stairwells and in a toddler builds. And it's not necessarily a high, because if you're in a high rise building, if you're working off the standpipe, then you're usually only doing three or four lengths. Yeah. You know, you might have, uh you know, a fire at, on a top floor of a, of a six story building, you know, where it's three lengths just to the entrance of the building, you know? So it takes that many more people to stretch the hose. Cause it's all, it's all, uh, it's all dead load stretch, no pre-connects in New York at all. So I did read a story about some of the ultra high rises that are in big cities like New York, Chicago, but uh, basically it was like New York had, certain floors where you had a closet with equipment stashed that way you didn't have to carry it all from the outside. Is there any trick to that? Or is that just a BS story I heard? Yeah, not, not that I know of in, in New York. Um, you know, we carried all our own stuff, um, you know, in a, and again, I, I, I didn't work in midtown Manhattan where it was all 
the high rise office buildings and residential mm -hmm. buildings, um, there might be something like that. The, the, uh, the alarm systems were uh, in, in those buildings in midtown and downtown were super complex. They would have, um, people that were just responsible for, you know, for your alarm system or in a really big buildings, they would have during the work days, they would have people responsible just for one floor or maybe a couple of floors, but I've never heard of anything of the equipment being stored anywhere other than a fire extinguisher. Yeah. That's just, yeah. I don't know. I remember hearing about it. Or I, I saw an interview. I don't know that I would trust that. Well, no, it wasn't. So it wasn't equipment the building owned, like they paid for it, but it was fire department equipment. Well, yeah, but I mean, are you sure a hundred percent that that equipment's going to be there? I mean, think well, about no. it. When we roll up to a house <laughs> no. fire, when we roll up to a house fire, we bring our own water. We yeah. bring our own hydrant every time. Well, yeah, well, most of us do. <laughs> Some people still don't, but most of us do bring our own water every time. You don't rely on somebody else to bring equipment. No, you to shouldn't. You. But I'm just saying that's just the story I heard. Yeah. So you're zero for two on stories so What's far. What you <laughs> Your thing. <laughs> You're not getting into the Hall of Fame with those numbers, buddy. Uh, hang on now. <laughs> so great. That means he's got eight more questions. <laughs> I'm I'm more your defender. I'm a Golden Glove guy. <laughs> no, I've played softball with you. No, you're not. That's because I was retired for a long time. And I might have been a little drunk. I'm not going to lie. <sighs> well, there's that. <laughs> there were those years. Yep. So, those years. Oh man. Um, Steve, won't you tell us a little bit about uh the program that you got going on there in South Carolina? Uh the one that I the one that I do? Yes. The lecture that I do or yeah. the program with the both. Uh well, the Low Country Firefighter Support Team, and it was started uh um by a gentleman named Gerald Mishu, who is a retired firefighter, and he started it for the firefighters in Charleston after they lost the nine guys. And it's grown into this program where um, he has a tremendous amount of peer counselors now. He has clinicians that are specifically uh, trained in certain things. Um, he tries to put some of them through uh, some firematic stuff so they can understand what not, you know, not throwing them into a live burn, but uh, but so they can understand some of the things that they do. And it's expanded so much where that organization has at least two other regions that they're responsible for. Um, and it's just, again, just getting the resources. And we talked about earlier about, about EAP programs for, for government organizations or NGOs or, or whatever they are. Uh, it takes, you know, if, if somebody was working in an office building and they had a problem and let's put you in touch with, you know, EAP, you know, EAP is going to give you an 800 number to call and they're going to put you on hold and they're going to, you know, well, we can get you in to see somebody where, um, you know, the resources that are available now, especially through and the connections that Gerald has made, you know, the last couple of guys I know that went to inpatient, they were there the next day, you know, um, some guys were in crisis where they had to go to um, the mental health facility in Charleston first and then made their way down or, um, but uh, so it's specific to us, which I think is so important, um, is so important for us. It's for, it's for us. 
because only we understand what it is. And somebody who is not culturally competent, um, (laughs) I love that, is not going to understand it. So, and again, for for me, somebody asked me, I I remember years ago, um, after the Black Sunday fire, somebody said, you know, maybe you should do something with this. I never knew what that was. But it wasn't until a couple of years ago where uh, somebody asked me to do uh, a lecture at a, at a fool's conference up in New England, and I kind of put it together, and it it got a lot of good response to it. So I broadened it some more, and I call it surviving a job. And I try to go to some conferences. I'm trying to market it a little bit more because now I am retired. I have more more time to do it. Um, but I want to go out there and, and be able to tell people like us that are, that are struggling or, you know, Oh, I'm fine. You know, sometimes you're not, and it's okay to not be fine. Um, and I think one of the, one of those big things is that, again, I might've said it already, but if you have that, that person that you respect, um, that's a mentor to you, that you look up to in a fire service and you know that that person is able to talk about what they've been through or, you know, come on, kid, I, I know exactly what you're going through. Um, you know, if I can be, if I can be that guy to somebody or, or what you guys are doing is being that those guys to somebody, somebody's going to listen to this program or any one of your podcasts and go, you know what? I feel exactly the same way because we all have the same story. You know, it might be yeah. a little different here and there, um, you know, some guys are, you know, like military guys are like, well, you're crazy for running into a burning building. And I'm like, yeah, I was never getting shot at while I was doing this. Uh, well, once yeah. or twice, in a rough neighborhood, <laughs> getting shot at, but, which I'm sure you guys can understand. But, uh, you know, my pain is my pain. Your pain is your pain. And don't ever compare the two. You know, yeah, I can't absolutely. compare myself, you know, to, to you, Jeremy, or, or to Chris, it's what I had to deal with and how I learned how to, how to deal with that and getting the resources out there for people. And, and because we don't talk, we don't talk about it. We're tough guys. We're problem solvers. Mm-hmm. We're fixers. You know, as long as everybody else is okay, I'm going to be, you know, I, I knew exactly what my job was at work. I had no idea what I was supposed to do when I got home. You know, yeah. I wasn't in charge at home. You know? And yeah. It that made my home life suffer, you know, and uh, it's it's trying to trying to figure trying to figure it out. And again, if we could, you know, I call it they make fun of me now because uh, the the therapist that I go to at the the first responders first responder support team, you know, people get the Steve Gillespie discount now because I've sent so many people <laughs> to the therapist there. <laughs> You know, I feel like the State Farm guy. Like, hey, can I get that discount? You know? So you have your own jingle? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't care, Chris, as long as they're going for help, you know, and if I can get them. Absolutely. And, I'm right you know, there with you. I'm behind you. And, and and some people, you know, I'll get a phone call from a guy and, hey, can you talk? You know, I just spoke to somebody a couple of days ago. You know, I was really struggling and, and I was a little concerned. And, you know, after the conversation was a little less concerned, but you know, other times gone out to lunch with somebody and, you know, when they, when they understand that, that 
um, that we've all felt like this, you know, and they're not the only one that feels like this or felt like this, you know, and again, for me, you know, a lot of my therapy is this right now. You know, I, I can tell you that I, every time I do a lecture or even, or even coming on this program right now, I get a little bit of a physical reaction because I get nervous about what it is mm -hmm. I want to talk about. But once I ease into it, it's just, you know, and yeah. I will tell anybody that wants to listen, cause it helps me, you know, That's talking about my things helps me deal with my things. It's hard to get in, up in front of your peers and have that's that discussion yeah it takes you know it. they talk about oh i'm a strong person i you know i can it takes so much more strength to be able to stand up in front of your peers and people that you respect and say i'm fucked up mm -hmm. you know i got problems you know and here's how i did it and you know you might be feeling the same way and this is how i dealt with it and maybe i can help you get help yourself I know when, when, when I get asked about the podcast at the station, it, I still get that little, all right, I'm about to get in an argument in the back of my head. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting ready for, for a fight yeah, because of the stigma that it has, that the, the topic has, but never had one. Nobody's ever said anything bad. And I think more guys appreciate it and like it than what we think. Just yeah. it's not as vocal, but yeah. I get asked about it by more senior guys who aren't afraid to ask that question. Yeah. In front well, of the younger guys. And, you know, I think that's something that we can all agree on. And we've, we've talked about at length here is that's part of the culture that needs to change is we, we have to, yeah, we have to be able to have these conversations and it not be a fight about it, you know, and just, it needs to be open and out there. So, I mean, I'm even that I told you about the code I ran before I got hurt with the 36 year old was pregnant mm -hmm. and we got back to the station and actually I was, cause I was like, I'm going to talk to everybody. And I was actually pleasantly surprised in the response I got. Yeah. Like everybody stayed up I mean, it was in the middle of the night and everybody talked and was actually open younger crew. Yeah. Except for a few of us, but you know, the majority of the crew was younger. Yeah. Well, and, and that's something that I have noticed too, is that, a lot of the the younger people coming on the job seem to be more open to it um, than like that mid-level or mid-time or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. And then some of the older people are still just hands off with it. But a lot of it seems like, at least for our department and the people that I've interacted with, the, the newer generation coming in is seems to be more open and receptive to having those conversations and going, yeah, that, uh, I'm not okay with that call mm -hmm. and I need to talk about it. And so. just doing what Chris did, you know, I, I remember time where, you know, uh, I was, uh, um, I believe it might've been a case of child abuse, but uh baby not breathing and, uh, you know, an infant, maybe four or six months old, you know, after everything was done, brought everybody in the kitchen. And I'm like, Hey, you know, this is a, that we're not supposed to see stuff like that. That's not normal. You know, and you might not feel it right now, you know, um, might take a little while or it might drum up something that happened two years ago. But just be aware of that and to be aware that it is that we can talk about that. And that you said, I think you said earlier, Jeremy, it's, you know, what is you guys went to the academy 18, 20, 18 years ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, what was the only training that you did other than, 
you know, we did physical training and then we did firematic training. But now more and more, especially when I was in North Charleston, um, I coordinated the Charleston Area Joint Recruit School. So it was Charleston City Fire Department has their own fire academy. Uh, but all the other towns around, they would send, uh, some of them would send their recruits to, to North Charleston to do academy. And more and more, it's becoming prevalent that financial health is becoming a topic to talk about and mental health, where Gerald, the, the, the guy in charge of the Low Country Firefighter Support Team, again, some son here, um, Gerald comes in and talks to the recruits and tells them, you know, and I think it's about knowing what your what your options are. I think there's for so many years there there weren't options for us, um, and then there were options, but they might not have been the right ones. And now, yeah. because doing a, shows like podcasts like this and being able to talk about it so much more, the resources are so much more available um, for people to get to get some help. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think there's. I mean, just in the past, I would say four or five years, I mean, the number of clinicians that have started to specialize in just first responders, mm -hmm. you know, and, and veterans has went up at least that I'm aware of. So, sure. but I'm, I mean, that's my, my wife's whole practice is firefighters, cops, and veterans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, and like I said, she's booked out months in advance. Yeah. So it's like the need is there and we're starting to get those resources um, and we're making progress. So I can, I, I hope that it can, going. yeah, I hope that it continues. So. We'll I hope there. it does as well. Yeah. Again, and the more we talk about it, the more, the more it will continue hopefully. Mm -hmm. No, at, I think so. And the more people that we get to, the more people that can talk about it and share and the more people that, you know, like you said, that, that person that has that good reputation that everybody looks at, that's, you know, Oh, that guy is, he is the firefighter, you know, that's the guy that I want to be at, you know, be like, and that's the mentor and all that. If you get, can get those people to share and share how important it is to take care of your mental health and your physical health and, and everything else, then it just makes it so much easier. And it makes that culture shift so much easier. Mm -hmm. Have you found, have you found it since you started doing this, that guys are more open with you about their stuff? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah. so we both got promoted recently. Um, Congratulations. So, well, thank, thank you. you. Um, and the way that our department does it is uh, whenever you get promoted, um, you become a floating captain. So mm -hmm. you're assigned to a district. And so you're station to station, you know, every day you probably yep. won't be at the same station twice. Um, and so I got to see and talk to a bunch of different people. And that was right. I think we were about midway through mm -hmm. maybe what, like eight months into doing the podcast or something, whenever that happened. Maybe a year. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was closer to the anyway, year, maybe. So, but I was able to talk to more people, and it seemed like more people were open to talking about it. And even at some stations where I was like, okay, none of these guys are going to want to talk about this or whatever. And a lot of them were open to talking about it. And then the station that I eventually landed at, 
you know, I can't say enough good things about those guys because it is one of those stations where it's like everybody's super open. If something's bothering them, they don't have a problem saying it at all. And, you know, it's a, it's a good atmosphere. So, and then now you're still in the, you just started the floating process. So yeah, it's been a few months, Yeah, but I've, it depends where I'm at. I've seen more people being open about things, maybe not come directly to me and talk about it, but more of a broad conversation. Yeah. To start. Yeah. Yeah. But But it's better than what it was. I mean, it's not as taboo as it was even a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the progress is there and it just, you know what it is. It's impatience of, because I see where it needs to be. So I want it to be there. And it's just, we've talked about it before, you know, if you're steering a big ship, you know, one of those big ocean liners or an aircraft carrier or something, you're not going to just whip the wheel over and turn 90 degrees. You know, it's like, I'm going to turn one degree at a time until I finally get over there. It's little corrections. It's yeah. Corrections. And it's, it's hard sometimes and it's frustrating, but it's about getting there eventually and Mm -hmm. doing the, doing the work, taking the steps that you need to do to get there. So I, I think like you said, just that, you know, organizationally, you know, um, it's slow progress, but on the other hand, for us as individuals, you know, again, we're fixers and we're problem solvers. We go to the fire, the fire goes out, you know, guys that are struggling and haven't asked for help before are like, I want it now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes it does it doesn't happen like that. Yeah. You know, no, again, it, you might yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. It might take you a couple of therapists. It might take you a couple of different medications. It might take you, you know, a little, but at least, you know, I remember a guy telling me a story who, who so against therapy, you know, so against it, and then went one time, and then by the time his 45 minutes was over, he couldn't wait to make the next appointment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, again, I just, the hardest part is for us to start to talk about it. And then once you start getting it out there, sometimes it just, it just flows and you can't Mm -hmm. like, you know, Oh my God, it's an hour already, you know, an hour and 13 minutes into this already. And, you know, it could go on for another five. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's once you, once you get them in the door and open, open those gates up, you know, stuff just breaks loose. And I think some of that maybe even like, it's just fear of the unknown and not knowing exactly what, what they're walking into. You know, whenever we go into a house fire, we pretty much know what we're going into. Yeah. Yeah. We go to a car wreck. We, we know what we're, we're, we're doing, you know? And and where did you learn that from? You learn that from a senior guy, somebody who has the experience in it, the same way we're doing this now, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey, I've been through this before. Come with me. You know, let me, I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder. I'm going to point you in the right direction or to the fire or to the therapist or whatever it is, you know, and because you trust that person, you would trust them in a fire or you trust them on a fire ground or anything else, you know, you're going to trust them with, Hey, you know, this is what's going to happen. You know, if this happens, do this, if that happens, do this. You know, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I had, when I get thoughts in my, I'm old. No, you're good. Thoughts man. In my head, I just got to go with them sometimes. Yeah. No, you're, yeah. you're a hundred percent correct. And that's something else that we talk about. And that's that level of mentorship and leadership 
that, you know, is so important. And especially in this situation, I'd, I'd love the fact that you brought it up of being that person, you know, we've kind of talked about it of, you know, we got to get the guys who are leaders, who are mentors to show them that it's okay to show them the way, basically. It's Mm -hmm. just a, I mean, you could even look at it as it's just another type of training. You know, it's, it's search training, it's hose deployment, it's water shuttle, it's whatever you want to call it. Well, now it's mental health training, train your brain, Mm -hmm. train your body. You know, yeah, and it's part of the academy now for some yeah. places, which is awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic because I think you're setting those recruits and cadets up for success in the long term, and even it's even more beneficial to them than, I mean, obviously the fire training is beneficial, but you know that's not what I'm saying. But it's going to pay dividends in more areas of their life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because whenever at home as well, maybe dealing with family yeah. and yeah, because that's a part of it that you know we we sit here and talk about. Well, we ran this bad call or that thing or that thing, but there's still a whole nother side of life that we all have to deal with too. You know, we've all have the marriages, the kids, the the house payments, the car payments, all of that stuff on top of the bad calls that we run and the sleepless nights at the the firehouse and you know, all of that stuff. So having that mental health training, is going to pay dividends in both areas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We got to take care of us. Yeah. You know, and yeah, for don't... so many years we bid, it would be, uh, you know, I got to take care of everybody else when I'm not fine. Now people are realizing if, how am I going to take care of somebody else if I'm not okay myself? Yeah. Well, so. did you ever, do you ever get the speech of don't be part of the emergency or don't become the emergency? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Don't do yeah. something stupid. That's going to make us have to come save you. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like it's really, you can draw so many parallels of any aspect that we talk about back to mental health of, back to, Hey, sure. this is look, this is no different than this. It's no different than learning how to do a search properly or whatever. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just sitting here chilling. I like the soapboxes. <laughs> oh, man, I yeah, I get on a roll sometimes. He's that's got, all, he's that's got why I like his soapboxes. Yeah. They just keep going yeah. up. Yeah, it's good. I do I do the same. I do the same thing. You know, and this is, you know, a lot of times it's firematic stuff and, you know, and, and again, go, go, go off on a rail and a whole bunch of other stuff, but this is a show about mental health. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's, uh, yeah, leadership, fire service, yeah. law enforcement, a little well, bit I, of everything. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you guys about that stuff too. Oh, there we fantastic. go. Set them up for another one. You were yeah. begging for guests yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, whenever we get off here, I'll send you an email with some dates and uh, okay. we can schedule yeah. you to come back on and the topic will be leadership. Awesome. <laughs> so, awesome. cause that's, I love that. yeah. Cause we've been hitting on that. Uh, not as much as I would like, but pretty good. So yeah, it's definitely a topic and it, it interests me before I got promoted and put in a leadership role. Um, right. But now that I, now even more, now even more so, cause you know, i and I think we both agree with that. We want to do the right thing and we want to be able to not only like, I hesitate to use the term inspire, but, you know, inspire the people that we're responsible for to 
be the best versions of themselves. That's exactly what a good leader is, right? It's yeah. not to, you're not going to tell them how good you are. You're going to show them how good they are. Exactly. So, well, Steve, thanks for coming on, man. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, this oh, thank been, you guys. I really appreciate it. Been fantastic. It's been fun. Yeah. Learned a uh, lot. Do you have any, uh, any final thoughts for this episode? Not just, um, if I could give you my email, maybe if anybody's interested in the lecture. Sure. Um, it's uh, smg9340 at outlook.com. S is in Sam, Evan is in Mike, G is in golf, 9340 at outlook.com. I'm not much of a social media guy. I'm not much of a marketing guy. Uh, but again, I have a lot more time on my hands to be able to do this every once in a while. Um, and it's something that I love to talk about. So if there's a department or an edu- uh, or an organization that uh, you know would like to get in touch with me to talk about this topic, just uh, hit me up on an email. All right, and we will post that uh, email in the uh, description of the podcast too, so everybody's well, got. Make that. me sound really. Make me sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I think you sounded good on your own, Absolutely. man. I don't think you need any help from us. <laughs> uh chris closing thoughts no i think we pretty much covered everything on this one all right well i'm pretty happy guys thanks for sharing your stories with me chris oh yeah Um, and jeremy i really again i really appreciate that that um you know again it's all about sharing our stories man and that's yeah this this is one of those outlets that we can uh you know you're doing the right thing you're doing a good thing well, thanks. We appreciate that. Absolutely. So, Thank you. And that's what we're, we're trying to do is just help one at a time. So if anything that we say can inspire somebody to make a change or realize where they're at and take a look at themselves, then yeah, we're, we're doing the right thing. So you start with the man in the mirror, right? Uh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're You're kind of singing the song over there. I just jumped on it. Well, I didn't even realize I was doing it. It's a great song, man. Yeah. So anyway. Um, Michael Jackson song? Yeah, Man yeah. the Mayor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites, actually. It It's a good song. I'm not even going to lie. So, <laughs> all right. If you are struggling. Hey, you talk what, real quick. Yeah, I did, sure. I'm sorry. Did you guys ever hear the song called Superman by Five for Fighting? Uh, I... I want to say that I did. That came out like in the early 2000s, right? Yeah. Yeah. If a uh, uh, five for fighting, like five minutes for fighting in hockey, that's what the five for fighting, it's called Superman. Listen hmm. to the song and, and listen to the lyrics. And uh, it's pretty powerful as far as the song goes with, you know, with, like Chris was saying, the lyrics of Man in the Mirror. Yeah. All right. Check that out. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks everybody for stopping by. Remember, if you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there. If you know somebody that is struggling, reach out, let them know that you care, get them hooked up with some resources. And look, don't wait. Um, Don't wait on somebody to come save you. Take some personal accountability, personal responsibility. Take a look at the man in the mirror and uh, take the steps to be where you want to be and make the change. So thanks. And, uh, We will see you next time.